0: Welcome to Slash Server Life, the podcast where we explore the unseen world of people in the service industry. On today's episode, we meet Caleb Olson. He is what I would imagine is what would happen if a laugh were personified. Boisterous, brash, and charming. Here's his story.
1: Where are you from? Um, so my hometown's Lincoln, Illinois. Real small town. Pretty much, almost dead central Illinois. There's an even smaller town, about 10 miles, I forget which cardinal direction, but they're the ones that boast to be, like, the exact geographical center of Illinois, you know, and they've got a hill that's, like, 10 feet elevation, and it's, like, their big thing. Like, (laughs) we're this much above sea level. Illinois is very flat, you know what I mean? So... Uh, Lincoln is about 20 minutes outside of Springfield, the capital. And it's just cornfields as far as the eye can see. And that kind of just laid-back country living mentality, which I don't have any qualms against. It's just I didn't fit in with it. I couldn't see myself waking up and doing the same things every day that most people do in small towns like that. So,
0: Well, that brings me to my next question. How did you end up in Nashville?
1: So... My parents have been divorced ever since I was, like, two. So, uh, which I'm glad, too, because I see them when they're together now, you know. Some people are always like, oh, you grew up d- divorced. And I was like, nah, it was good. You know what <laughs> I mean? Like, I get it, you know. And my mom had moved down here to Murfreesboro, like, 10 or 11 years ago. And that was about the time I was in between schools and graduating and trying to figure out what my next move is going to be and I forget the impetus for why. Oh, I was going to be a personal trainer. I was kind of doing stuff like that. It didn't work out. Kept hitting roadblock after roadblock. And so I was like, I just need to go with the path of least resistance here. And I'd vacation down here a lot from when my mom moved. And we would always get like lake houses on cabins and whatnot and like Center Hill Lake and things like that around here. And I just fell in love with tennessee in general it's very outdoorsy i like to be outdoors uh it's not flat so that like really <laughs> drew me i like, am like oh you can like hills you know <laughs> and after about two or three years of consistently vacationing down here every summer i just up and decided to leave and just say i'm just gonna move down here and it was easier knowing that i had a portion of my family down here that i could always like fall back on if i needed something but yeah, I've been down here for about, going on five years now.
0: How long have you been in the service industry?
1: Um, Starting, I used to be a busboy, like, way back in the day, like, high school. And that was my first, like, I guess, job in the industry. And it was at a a golf course, like, a, you know, like, one of those richy places in my hometown. And so... Uh, it was okay. I mean, it was just you know, no matter where you're busboy in, you're never having fun picking up dishes with heavy food on it. But it gave me uh, it gave me the insight to see how I'm not obviously I would not be able to be a member there. But like just to see how they treat people in general. And anywhere you go, there's good and bad people and there's just a higher propensity for the the nose-turning-up people at a golf course resort. And it's just... It made me learn a lot at a young age. Like, oh my gosh, I don't want to be seen as treating people like some of the way these people are treating me and my other coworkers. Like, I'm a low person on the totem pole as a busboy, so I didn't expect to be, you know, like, patted on the back and like, good job cleaning up those crackers, young man, you know? But, But the way they would see them treat the waitresses and the and the bar staff, too. It was just eye-opening. Not all of them were bad, but, again, in that propensity, it was just like, whoa. These are people coming from means. And it was just enlightening to see how they view people that bring them their food or take it away. And that, that opened my eye early in the game. So and then I took a long time off. I didn't have a, another service industry job, you can probably call it a service industry job, I worked at a meat processing plant, if you can imagine that, yeah, which I tell people that, and it's a fun segue into, like, now I work at a vegetarian (laughs) restaurant, like, it's, yes. I could say back when I was doing that, I was, so, I had the busboy job in high school, the meat processing plant for a good three years when I was in college, and the reason I say it was more service industry too, is because not only did I see the back, side of what was going on with they had like a, the place i worked had a mini like grocery store component to it so that people could come in and just do grocery shopping for all their meats obviously so i ran that part too like not only did i do inventory in the back but i had to deal with customers coming in and just doing like regular grocery stuff
0: that is mind boggling what was that like
1: uh, it was so this was back before i consciously wanted to start avoiding meat and I have a problem with it. I grew up small town Illinois, you know, farmers. One of my uncles back in the day had a pig farm. It was not uncommon for me to just see people using animals like commodities. That's just what I was raised around. Um, but on the flip side, my dad is also an avid deer hunter. And so I actually appreciate the way he goes about it because he will... He'll do it in a more, like, sacred way, if you want to call it that. I mean, it's not really that sacred if you're hiding in a tree and you're... You know what I mean? Like, he's a big bow hunter, so he feels that it's a better situation for the deer. They have a more... He calls it an even playing field, but I'm still like, you're in a tree. It's not that even. (laughs) But you know what I mean? He'd rather do that. And whenever I would see him... I went hunting with him twice when I was little. Every time he killed something, I just cried immediately. And I was like, I don't think this hunting thing is going to be cut out for me. You know, he's like, are you okay? And I was like, he was trying to get away. And he just killed him. And, you know, like, that's when I kind of started to feel like, I don't think I'm going to be a hunter. Like, if, if, if a fight or flight or if it's life or death, probably I could do it. But given that we don't live in that situation nowadays, we don't have to do that. But I would, it was uncommon for me to just walk into the garage as a little kid and see him field dressing a deer, you know, and he would use every bit. And what he didn't, he would donate or give to the local food banks and stuff. So, like, I could get on board with that. My mentality on it is now, definitely, if you want to eat animals, I feel like you should be the one that kills them. Because it's all that energy exchange of... And it's just so far removed from it now. You just go to the store and pick it up. You don't see any of the background of it. Um but yeah, I did that for a little bit. That was one of my actual worst bosses. Really? Situations. He was just just one of those people that didn't he didn't care about anybody but himself. And you can tell a lot about how you would just treat other people. And he had a, there was a Samoan guy who was the like main, I don't know what you'd call him. He was just the main dude that would know how to cut all the steaks. The butcher? Yes, good word. You Thank know. you. brain fart, you know. It's okay. What's that guy called that just cuts up meat all day? (laughs) Butcher. And this guy, nicest guy I'd ever met. He just didn't, he spoke a lot of broken English. I don't know how, what his story was getting to, you know, United States, let alone Illinois. But he was, he was good with a knife. He just would, you know, just made it look like a hot knife through butter every time. Super friendly guy. But my boss would just treat him like dirt. Really? And you just yeah. Never have anything nice to say. This guy's just churning out meat like better than any machine can, because there's that human element of not every thing is the same size, so you have to take in the human element of learning how to cut and where to cut. He just he would just never say anything nice. It was just I always remember my mom You know, if you don't have anything nice to say, don't say anything at all. And I was just thinking, like, this dude should probably never say anything ever. (laughs) Because he just, he never had a nice thing to say.
0: Was he just a really critical, or what were some of the things he would say?
1: Yeah, he, like, if you did something good, he'd find a reason to say, you need to do this better next time. Or if I would, he'd have me push certain things, again, when I had to do, like, certain meats would be getting ready to turn or whatever and he'd be like you need to push this today or whatever and I would I'd sell it all and it was just never like a thank you or anything he's just like alright well next time I know you sold all that pork that I asked you to but next time she looked like she could have used a steak too so why don't you like <laughs> you know what I mean there's just always something he could never, never just good say enough. good job yeah. yeah and just the way he would treat the truck drivers that would come he'd just belittle everybody I mean Their setup, too, wasn't really good. They had this, like, low-hanging wire that when truck drivers would come down, you obviously had to stay to the right, or if you tried to go left, you were just going to clip these wires and bring it all down with your trailer. He even put a sign up after a while. But one day, this new guy came and inevitably clips the wires, pulls it all down. He didn't, like, rip anything. Like, things still worked. But the fact of the matter is now somebody has to go back out there and hang it back up. And the truck driver came in, super apologetic about it, and the boss, the first thing he said was, you fucking stupid truck drivers. Wow. And I was just standing there, you know, doing, because the boss's office was right next, of course, right next to the register, so he could see, you know, people are stealing from me. Like, he's one of those types. And so I'm sitting there, like, you know, and he's saying this stuff in front of customers that are even in buying produce within earshot listening to him just degrade this truck driver like nobody's business like that's just the type of person he was and like during deer season hunting season up in Illinois they would process deer too and we'd have to like shut down because that's game you couldn't process beef, poultry or pork at the same time you were doing game so what they would do is they'd have to build up a lot of deer to make it worth you know shutting down but we would deal with deer hunters. Not to <laughs> label deer hunters, but some of them aren't the smartest people. <laughs> oh, no. And, you know, they just... For instance, you're supposed to, like, you know, field dress a deer. Meaning you're supposed to get rid of the insides, the, the guts, if you will, before you bring it in. People would just come up and just be like, here's your deer. and Like, all their innards and stuff are still in them. We can't do that. Like, anyway, he... Uh, a not so intelligent deer hunter came in and I was dealing with him and the same boss just overheard us talking and he goes, just, you know, he just didn't have patience for people. And I was like guiding him through the ordering process and the guy just wasn't grasping it. Started getting a little upset and I was just like, started backing away, you know, because I don't like confrontation like that. Of course, the boss could overhear it. He comes out, just starts going into him, stupid deer hunters. We have the chart, it's simple, you know? And he's just yelling and yelling, and the guy's like, I'll never forget this. He said, I'm never coming back here again. I'm not even going to take, I'm just going to take my deer with me now. I'll find someplace else. My boss said, good, I don't need your fucking business. Wow. (laughs) He said that to his face. (laughs) This is, like, things that were a common occurrence at that place. And, I mean, he did make a lot of money, so, like, that, he got away with saying that to whoever he wanted. And he felt like he could just do that with anybody. Mm. So that was one of my worst boss stories. And so now I've been a cook and slash manager at the Wild Cow, the vegetarian restaurant, for about going on three years. And that's all been back of house. I love it. I love being able to, no matter what kind of day you're having or where you're at, you can get lost in your work a little bit more in the back of house and not deal with people. Like, if I'm just feeling antisocial, I'll just go back there and get lost in cutting up vegetables or whatever we need for the day. But as far as front house goes, if you're in a bad mood, you've got to, like, stuff that stuff down. (laughs) and Like, put on a fake and a mask, you know. And the older I get, the harder that gets for me to do. So, I love not having to worry about that. So, I mean... Not gonna rule out ever working in front of the house. I just—it's not something I'm striving for at this point.
0: What about the wounds or scars? Anything from?
1: I mean, a note. Physically, I have tons. I've almost cut off pretty much every one of my fingers. Oh my goodness! <laughs> you <know, you> Just—they're <laughs> still there, though, folks. Yeah, 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 yeah. The trust me, the tip of my thumb—the one time we had to throw all the vegetables away because we couldn't find it.
0: But... <laughs> <laughs> Tell me that story.
1: Oh my gosh. I was cutting up uh, just green bell peppers. If you've ever had experience cutting green bell peppers, they can get slimy. They can get hard to cut. Um, And it comes down to just mindless chopping. I was not being mindful. Just another thing, I love kitchen because it mirrors yoga. You have to be really mindful. You have to be really focused on what you're doing or else you'll cut the tip of your thumb off, you know? (laughs) So I was just going to town, talking to somebody over my shoulder, and the blade is so sharp that, like, you'd think you you initially feel it, you know? You're like, oh, that didn't feel like a green bell pepper. <laughs> and I feel a slight sting sensation, and I look down, and it's just, without getting too gory, you just, red color is not something associated with cutting green bell peppers. <laughs> and so I was like, well, this isn't good. Uh, luckily... The person on Dish that day was a really good friend of mine and he just knew what to do. He had me immediately, i come back and I'm washing off my hands and he's like, did you cut yourself pretty good? And I was like, I don't know, I haven't looked at it yet, you know? And I was like, finally got the courage to like look away and yeah, there's just a huge chunk. There's like half of my thumbnail is just Uh, missing, like through the nail, through the tip. I still have weird, I can't feel the tip of this thumb. Like if you look at it, it looks normal, you can see a little scarring underneath there. It was just gone. And so, like, I usually don't have an issue with seeing blood or anything. But, like, I was washing it off. And I was, like, you know, trying to be, like, eh, it's so good. I got this. And I looked down. And I was, like, oh, okay. Like, he said my face just turned white. I started to, like, get the tunnel vision and the hearing. And he luckily, like, knew that I was going through that. So he made me put my hand above my head, shoved a lemon slice in my mouth. Something with citrus. I don't know. I'm not a doctor, but... I'm sitting in the front by all these customers walking in. I've got my hand above my head. A big lemon wedge in my mouth. Some of the other front house workers are coming and like, putting cold towels on me. Because I almost fainted. Like, I didn't think I was going to do that. But, like, when your hearing starts to go and, like, people are talking at you. And all I could see is lips moving and, like, a ringing. And I'm like, okay, this is probably a deeper cut than what I imagined. And... Luckily, he stuck with me, uh, he bandaged everything up, you know, did the whole Neosporin thing. I couldn't do any of it. There's no way. Like, once I looked at it when I was cleaning it off and almost passed out, there would have been no way in hell I was going to doctor it up any more than that. So he, you know, put the Neosporin on, taped, Band-Aid first, actually. And if you work at a kitchen job, you know that you got to do Band-Aids, tape, And probably even another layer of tape because you're gonna have to get your hands in a glove or wash them off at some point. And a lot of people were like, Do you need to go home? You know, and I'm not a person that does that. Like, if I'm like, If I get past this whole passing out part, I'm gonna be fine, guys. So, (laughs) you know, give me another lemon wedge. I'm gonna get through this. (laughs) And I just went back to work, you know, I just taped it up. For the rest of the day, I was very much more mindful about what I was doing. (laughs) And ever since then, I try to be especially when it comes to cutting vegetables that I know. Uh, green peppers are not my nemesis now anymore, you know. <laughs> I actually cut some up the other day, but I was looking out like, I remember you guys, and people will try to talk to me, and I'm like, nope, no, nope, me and these green peppers, we got to get through this. i got to, like, make sure I have all my phalanges when this is done, you know.
0: That's amazing. Okay, so do you have any um, good war stories from restaurants? Besides it can be customers it can be yeah. other you know, coworkers you already went through the boss story but yeah. like anything like that i don't
1: want to go back to that guy i want to just leave him back there um i love people and customers some of them i just like and tolerate <laughs> <laughs> cuz they're there you know they're there spending their money to eat and just customers that don't care they just i don't know. like i go out to eat as an act of excitement some people go out and they're just i don't know what they're doing they're in a bad mood or they're treating people how they feel that day and it's like i remember at a restaurant where i've worked before we've had to you know physically remove people who I I didn't know what they said. They apparently said something very derogatory underneath their breath to the waitress as they walked away. And the front of house manager was at least an earshot enough to hear them and said, you guys gotta go. You you can't, no, we're not gonna tolerate you treating people. It was a very very sexist word Uh. that I knew he said. And it starts with a C. Oh my God. The see you next Thursday was muttered underneath the breath. And that, the way the way the way
0: reasoning for that. Why would they think that was? That's
1: just it. Like, what reasoning is okay to say that? You know, none really, in my opinion. So it's like, first of all, you have a person that's here serving you. You know, like that's their. Yeah, I know it's their job, but they're willingly choosing to be at that job. They must have like to be around people to some degree to be a server, and. Their job is to make sure you're having a good time, you know? And I get it, not everybody is on their A game some days, but from what I've seen, even if someone's having like the worst terrible possible day, if they're a good front-of-house person, you would never know. And they're good at compartmentalizing that and still being a good person. And I would say at this place, every single front-of-house person was fits that bill. There was no reason for anybody to be muttering any sort of... Degrading remarks underneath their breath, and just people like that. Like, I don't. I feel like some people just wake up and that's their goal to make everybody as miserable as they are. And yeah, if I I have a short fuse, that's another reason I wouldn't be able. I probably would have got fired because I would have wanted to get physical really quick. (laughs) I don't, you know, I don't, I can't. That's another reason I think I'm better off back of house because it's harder for me to fake real genuine anger when it comes up
0: yeah like push it back down
1: yeah I I mean I can get lost in my work but if my job is to turn right back around and deal with say another customer comes in like that right after I'd have to do no (laughs) I'd be done (laughs) I'd probably just be like I quit, guys. You know, I don't want to give a restaurant a bad name. Did you hear that guy that threw somebody out the front window the other day? Like, it would be very hard for me not to do that. I mean, yeah, I'm a yogi, but, like, still, if you're a bad human, I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to try to put that back in your face and make you realize that you're being a bad human.
0: <laughs> All right, last one. What's your biggest pet peeve?
1: My biggest pet peeve... And it's probably, well, it's twofold. We already kind of talked about the customer part. When I'm in a kitchen, negative or absent-minded customers that don't know that they're being a pain in the ass—that's a big one. And on the worker side of it, when we have people that are back there with us that don't show the same level of work ethic or workmanship, whatever you want to call it. That's a big pet peeve because in the kitchen you'll have anywhere to four to five people run around. You have a person on the dish, you have a person, a couple people prepping, a couple people working the line, somebody grilling. And we all, at least at the situation I'm at right now, we all share the same tip compensation. And it's it's very degrading and very demoralizing when you see somebody not pulling their weight. And you still have to share the same tip amount with them or whatever. So, just, I know you can't. I'm a Capricorn too. So, like, I'm very much like put up the blinders and just go to work. Like, that's just in my nature. I can't expect everybody that had the same work ethic as me or anybody else that I would say has a good work ethic. But if you're just someone that's standing around and loafing and you know you're doing it, you know what I mean? It's just people that try to get. Away with doing the least amount of work possible. Oh,
0: that makes my skin crawl. I hate
1: that. Uh, And it's just... Yeah, I just... uh, No, I'm not going to be friends with you outside of work either. You know? Like, don't... Hey, let's go get a drink. You know, today work was hard. Yeah, it was hard for us. You can't have a drink with us. You can't sit with us. You're not the same caliber of person. You didn't earn that drink. No, you didn't. So, some people can be taught... But it's just, when it's somebody that you've tried to work with them multiple times and they keep reverting back to it, you're just like, okay. You have to learn how to compartmentalize your energy and just, I'm not above, like I said, if I notice I'm working with somebody like that, I probably will just inevitably start working a little bit extra, especially being in like a manager role now. Like, I feel like that falls on me to pick up that slack and I'm fine with that, you know, but it's very... When you're in a kitchen, it's everybody's like family, you know, and everybody's so close and when you, no matter what kind of work I try to pick up the slack for, everybody else notices, like, that person's still being a turd. You know, and they're just like, it, it'll it'll bring down the energy and the mood in the kitchen real quick. And that's another thing I've noticed. is just like, it's like an organic entity, a restaurant, you know. It's, people are in a bad mood you feel it you, you don't even have to like talk to them to know that oh they're going through something so I love I love that though like I love feeling connected with again with people people that you're not related to because I feel like I have a lot of quote-unquote family people that are not blood related to me that fit the description more than the people that I was born into being a family with so I just love then connecting with people, making sure they feel welcome and, you know, slapping the people on the wrist that aren't doing their job like they're supposed to, you know, get your shit together and pick up the slack.
0: What are you doing now?
1: So now, um, still working at the cow. I love it. I love working with my hands. I didn't anticipate that. In a previous life, I've, I've got my degree in communication, like. In marketing and sales. And I did that for a couple years. And I'm a big people person. I like talking. I don't mind talking to... What? (laughs) (laughs) I don't mind talking to anybody and everybody. I will make people uncomfortable with how much I like to talk. And in sales jobs, unless you stand for what you're selling, I just felt like I was duping people. You know, it was just not how I wanted to use my communication skills. So... Uh, Ended up... I also teach yoga, too. I forgot to bring that into account. Uh, I've been a yoga teacher now for about four or five years, too. That derived out of how, I was mentioned, I used to want to do personal training. And I always seem to find these roadblocks. Like, I would just fail a test by, like, two or three points or whatever. Throw in any other reason that it just simply wasn't happening for me. And then I found yoga... And it was the physicality of it that drew me in. But it was that connection with, like, mind-body-spirit that definitely kept me there. Um, Because I think no matter who you are, you need to do physical stuff. Your body's meant to move. I feel like a lot of depression and anxiety can come from being too stagnant. It's... What's the saying? Like, uh, food is the most widely abused... Like drugs, yeah, and then yeah. exercise is the most underutilized antidepressant. Like, it's just simple. Just get out and move. You don't even have to. You don't have to take weightlifting classes. You don't have to come to a yoga class. You just go outside, walk, connect with nature again. Do something. So I love how that philosophy is built into yoga. You know, a lot of people just think it's you being sweaty and stretchy in a hot room and you're exercising. Well, to some people it is. But (laughs) (laughs) there's this whole other realm of it going on, of tapping into, like, what your own issues are, what your own traumas are. And I learned a lot of that going through my teacher training. I thought I was just going to show up and learn how to sequence a yoga class. No, it ended up where it was like group therapy. Everybody's (laughs) crying. We're all, like, talking about our deep-seated issues with each other. And it was necessary, you know, like... My teacher had always told me, like, you got to learn how to deal with your own stuff before you can help others deal with theirs. So I didn't anticipate that. It was funny, too, how I got into yoga. I was hitting all those roadblocks with personal training. And I used to do, like, almost competition-like stuff, lifting, way back
0: Really? Oh, yeah. (laughs)
1: Like, I went, my ego was out of control with the physicality part of it. So that's the other part of it. You can, it's good to work out. It's good to have that. Self care and healthy motivation, but it can also seep into your ego and really start to feed that. And yeah, I was a I was a broseopath for a while. You know? <laughs> a <laughs> like, <bro-ciopath>?
0: i <laughs> I've not heard that term.
1: I would definitely be the guy that would walk into a bar or something and just be like, you know, I could take that guy. I could take that. You know, oh, just God. Yeah, yeah. I don't, don't like talk, thinking but... it. Don't. <laughs> Yeah. did you have
0: like frosted tips or like some sort of crazy <laughs> yes I
1: did um, <laughs> we're not using those pictures trust me <laughs> they still exist even though I ignore them but yeah I used to be that person you know and somewhere along the way I got humbled thankfully and it was through yoga because a lot of my competition stuff I used to do I would work with friends and coaches and they would make me do stretches like I would be in the gym lifting for three hours and then, at first, I'm like, oh God, I'm not going to stretch, you know? Like, I had that nebroseopath <laughs> mindset. I'm like, stretch, <laughs> not doing that. And then I started to notice how much better my body felt after I would stretch or how m- more loose and how less painful I would be the next following days. And I started looking up, you know, the stretches that my coach was writing. I was like, these are just yoga poses. He's not, you know... He's a brosiopath, too, so he's not, like, saying utita hasta padangustasana. He's saying standing leg raise, stretch, you know, like... And it made me want more to learn more about that. I was like, there's a lot more to the stretching stuff than I was led to believe. And believe it or not, before I took... I just had... I work... My brain works like this. if I, I just get an idea, and I just run with it. Sometimes I'll put in a little bit of homework... But this time I didn't. I was like, all right, I'm just going to sign up to be a yoga teacher. I'd never taken a yoga class before.
0: Wow. Yeah. That's really diving deep
1: in. (laughs) Yeah, that's just like, I fell in love with this. Well, okay, so a little background before that. I downloaded a video of like, you know, at-home yoga stretches. It was like a 40-minute video. And I memorized it. And I felt good. And I was like, okay, well, there's a whole other world of yoga poses out there. And I just didn't know how to like... Transition into them without it being chunky, like standing back up and then getting into a new pose. I didn't, well, now they call it vinyasa or the flow, which is, you know, getting in and out of different poses. I didn't have that element. And I called up the studio that I went and got my teacher training certificate from. And she was even like, Well, I emailed her. I said, This is what's going on. I kind of want to be a yoga teacher. I've never taken a yoga class. And she called me back and she was like, I just wanted to be sure I read that right. <laughs> you know, she wanted to make sure she knew what I was getting into. She's like, why don't you come down? I'm going to talk to you in person and we'll figure this out. And she she was integral in me excavating my own issues and my own problems. And once she sat down with me and she's like, why do you want to be a yoga teacher? And I was like, well... I love the physicality of the practice, but I'm also like seeking all this other balance in my life of like my triggers and my vices and balancing them all. And she was like, okay, okay, okay. I'm like, all right, you can come into teacher training then. She just, you know, she told me, she's like, this has never happened before. People <laughs> don't just sign up to be a yoga teacher without taking a yoga class ever. So she just wanted to make sure my intentions were lining up with what the class was going to propose for me. And it did. It was very. It was a very good program. Uh, I guess if I could plug it, it's Epic Yoga. They're in Brentwood. Uh, My teacher is Leanne Wolke. She was very, very knowledgeable and very good at making you do your own work. But, um, yeah, I just fell in love with it after that. And it keeps me sane. and keeps me humbled now because when I theme my classes... That's another element I like to bring to yoga. It's not just the physical asana, the physical practice. It's more the philosophy behind it, and all the teachers and me included always say you've got to try these philosophies on in your body first. Develop this like muscle memory on how to use it on your mat, and then you take it out into the world and use it out there with you. You know, so when I give a theme or when I, it's basically me just talking to myself out loud giving advice and then just people are there listening to me talk you know like for example just last week my theme was like you know put yourself in other people's shoes just that simple act you know I quoted Atticus Finch from uh, to kill a mockingbird you know most people had to read that book growing up And a lot of stuff he talked to me, or I feel like he was talking to me, you know, a lot of stuff I got from that book, I was like, wow, this still holds true today. So I themed the whole class on just like how to put yourself in somebody else's shoes and not, you know, try to imagine their life and what they've had to do. And then you can start to understand why they have certain triggers or why they start to get mad about certain things. And it's like then you don't have to be on the defense you can be like okay well if i was in their position and this happened to me i might have the same trigger i might react rashly just the same so it gives you this more encompassing view of other people i mean that's that's the main part of yoga too yoga means connection i feel like we're here to connect with each other you got to learn how to i hate when people are like i'm alone or no you're not like, I love being alone, but we you would die if you didn't have connection <laughs> with other people. It's just like, it's in our biology. You have to connect with other people.
0: Well, what makes you interesting?
1: <laughs> I, I don't know. I would say probably just because I am such a people person. Like, if you sit down to me next to me and you just try to be quiet, I'm going to coax conversation out of you one way or another I just a weird ability to read people kind of got that from my dad too I don't know if that's something you even get from I don't know if it's taught I think it's just you can learn I just there's also these things too that's like some people call it intuition or whatever but like just have a weird gut feeling about people and it's usually right and the more I sit down and talk with them I find out it is kind of right so I love connecting with people. I love bringing joy and laughter to people's lives. Like, it's an abundance in, within me. I know that I'm having a better time no matter what task is at hand if I'm laughing about it and trying to make it a game. And I quote Alan Watts. I listen to his stuff all the time. Just a fall into an Alan Watts YouTube hole for like two days and just listen to him. He talks about how you're supposed to make life a game. You know, like, an analogy he uses is a bus driver. Take some bus driver and if they're just like, oh, this this really sucks, you know, I got to pick up all these people and I'm going to drop them off and driving around in a busy street, this sucks, you know. Like, But if the same bus driver just starts to say, all right, I'm going to make a game out of this, you know, you start to be like, you converse and interact with the people that are coming on. You, 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 you try to make it an enjoyable experience no matter what you're doing. It doesn't make any of the things happening in your life easier. It just makes it more tolerable. So that's all I'm trying to do. I like to make life as tolerable as possible whether it's through laughter, whether it's through making you sweat in a yoga class, whether it's through giving you good vegetarian food. Like that's the other thing. I love being connected to the things that are resonating with me at my core. I want to bring that other other people, you know, everybody's got the same thing. So if I like to lead by example. If people see me being my stupid self And whatever, and maybe it'll ignite the same passion within them. That's all I want to do is mirror, mirror the energy back to everybody, and say you can do this too.
0: What about is there anything you want to promote? It could be a creative pursuit. It could be just life philosophy. Anything.
1: Find your inner passion, no matter what that is. I feel like so many people will either stifle that thing down in efforts for, like, we were talking about security. You know, I, I have to have a good job, and I can't get paid to run around and catch butterflies all day. <laughs> but, like, if you're passionate about that, work to incorporate it into your daily life. You don't have to make it your career. But, like, I think the people that are most zombie-like in this world are those that just stuff down their passion and just choose not to try for it anymore. They just trade it in for a life of convenience, insecurity again you don't have to make you don't have to make your living off of what you're passionate about just make sure you're incorporating that into your life it's all about that balance too you know all work and no play makes Caleb a dull boy and then I end up murdering people (laughs) you know you just got to you get to find something whatever your highest excitement it is just follow it whether you get paid to do it or not it's going to help your mental state in the long run
0: Sound advice indeed. So dear friends, now it's your turn. Get off your phones, pause that bullshit conversation, and put down your forks long enough to peer into the not-so-secret world of service. I'd like to thank my guest, Caleb Olson. For taking the time to talk with me. If you like this podcast, be sure to like and subscribe. You can find us on Spotify, iTunes, Google Play, Stitcher, and also on our Facebook page slash Life, and Instagram at slash Life. Thanks so much for listening. Until next time.